Welcome to the Central Baptist Church Podcast. Located in the heart of Victoria, BC, we are a church that seeks to renew our community through the gospel. For more information, visit centralbaptistchurch.ca. The scripture reading is Ezekiel 33, 1-9. Please turn to Ezekiel 33 in your Bible or follow along in the sermon notes handout. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, speak to your people and say to them, if I bring the sword upon a land and the people of the land take a man from among them and make him their watchman, and if he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows the trumpet and warns the people, then if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take the warning and the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be upon his own head." He heard the sound of the trumpet and did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But if he had taken warning, he would have saved his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet so that the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes any of one of them, that person is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand." So you, son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give the warning from me. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way, that wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand." But if you turn, if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right, great to be back with you. Uh, We've been away for a couple weeks. Uh, Thank you so much for those of you who are praying for me while I was speaking at Sunday Break Bible Camp. God did some great stuff uh, in the lives of people there. It was really smoky. I mean, really, really smoky up there. And even our holiday time, we were in Penticton for a little bit, and it was smoky. But you know what? When you're up there, you learn you should not be complaining about the smoke on your holidays because people are losing their houses. Uh, Whole cities are being evacuated. I mean, it is a true crisis going on, (coughs) excuse me, on up in the interior. Uh, So be praying for our our friends, uh, our churches, everybody uh, all up in the interior that these fires would finally end because it's pretty serious stuff, got to be honest with you. Uh, but we did have a really good time as a family, uh, enjoyed some time away, enjoyed our time at Sunnybrae. And actually, incidentally, it also was our sixth anniversary here at uh, Central. We passed out a few weeks ago, too. And so when you're away, you're just kind of reflecting, you got some time to think. And I just want to tell you, I just consider it a great privilege to pastor this church. I really do. Uh, well, oh, thank you. It's great to be able to just sit back and reflect and pray and think through things and you just think, wow, what an an honor to preach God's word, to be with these people even this morning, being with you, talking with so many of you this morning already before the service. You just remember afresh, ah, the fellowship of the people of God, being together, worshiping together, how much it strengthens your own soul. Uh, I don't know if you're feeling that way, but I am just, I just feel so much more strengthened doing this uh, and not having to just be online all the time. And I know we're all kind of gradually working our way back. And those of you at home, we welcome you anytime you're ready. And the metaphor we've been using 
amazing is kind of getting, jumping into cold water. Some of us like to run and jump in. Some of us like to wade in. Some of us stick our toes in and wade a bit. Uh, so we know it is a little while. Uh, but as you're ready to come back, I just, I just feel like it's such a delight to be back together. So a couple quick reflections there. Today, I'm going to begin a new series, a new four-part series that I am going to call Coming Home. Uh, I've been trying to give you metaphors to help us think through this time in COVID. Do you remember the metaphor I gave like way back? It was like last September, if you can even remember that far back. I gave you the metaphor of moving into a hotel. Do you remember that? Uh, we said this is how we can think of COVID. Is COVID is kind of like being forced out of your home because, let's say, the pipes burst on your upper floor when you're away on holidays and your whole house got flooded and you got to be away from your house. you got to be moved into a hotel for a long period of time. It's not the end of the world to have to live in a hotel, just like COVID so far has not been the end of the world. Thankfully, it was not the Black Plague that we thought it was in the first week. That's great. But it's very annoying. Uh, there's all kinds of frustrations. There's things beyond that. Uh, and we had to kind of move into this temporary situation, like when you move into a hotel. And so the theme that we said last September was, unpack your bags. We're going to be here a while. And sadly, that's one thing that proved to be true. <laughs> COVID has gone on for a very long time, and we've had to live in this temporary situation for now, what has it been, almost uh, a year, year and a half or so. But now we've come out of phase two, we've come out of phase three. Unfortunately, I don't know if you heard this, but Dr. Henry on Friday said we are not going to go into phase four. Uh, so as usual, Dr. Henry took my plans and wrecked them. Thank you. Thank you. This is the way that it just kind of works. So this idea of coming home originally was going to be we're moving into phase four. Uh, life is supposed to be back to normal. We've left the hotel of COVID. We've come back home. And now we've got to talk about some priorities as we move back home. So Corey Doak this morning gave me the perfect way. We're going to rebrand this now. It's going to be coming home-ish. Okay? <laughs> So you can, just put, you can just put that on the end there. We're, we're on our way home. If it was a hotel somewhere else right now, we're in the airport and we're catching the cab on the way home. So the whole series still works just fine. Uh, it's not that I, I can't do it, but I was just like, are you kidding me? This is classic. It's classic. I make plans and then all my plans, they just, yeah, best laid plans of mice and men, right? If you live in a hotel for a year, uh, you need to develop new habits. Uh, we talked about this early on, habits uh, like, well, we don't even get into it. If you live in a hotel, there's all kinds of different ways you've got to live. If you leave the hotel after a year, though, you've formed habits, you've formed priorities that need to change as you move back towards normal life at home. And so that's kind of my thinking on this series. I am keeping it pretty broad, pretty general. I will apply it in some very specific ways. But why I wanted to do this series was to just help us think through some priorities as a church, priorities for us individually, as we begin to move back home whenever that's going to actually happen. I have no idea. Maybe this series will go on for a few years. Please, Lord, no. <laughs> and what I want to do in this series is talk about four priorities that we need to think about as we move into fall, uh, as we begin to hopefully get towards phase four. And today what I want to focus on is the priority of relationships. But more specifically, I want to talk about the priority of our responsibilities within relationships. So more specific. To do this, what I want to do is look at this passage in Ezekiel chapter 33. Here, God gives Ezekiel this picture of a watchman. You heard that 
imagery throughout it all. He calls Ezekiel to be a watchman. And so what I want to do is also look at how God calls us to be faithful watchmen, just like he called Ezekiel to be a faithful watchman. And this is one of our priorities as we begin to transition back toward life at home. So I'm going to develop this today in three parts. First of all, let's just talk about the picture of a watchman, this picture that God gives. Then secondly, the meaning of a watchman. What does God mean when he gives this image of a watchman? And then finally, how we be faithful in our call to be watchmen. So let's start developing in the first place. First theme is this, the picture of a watchman. Now, in Ezekiel 33, God gives this imagery to Ezekiel, this man Ezekiel, this prophet of God, this picture of a watchman. And really, there are two angles, two sides to this image. First of all, there's the side of the watchman himself and what that means. What is the watchman responsible to do? Then there's the side of the people who the watchman is going to talk to or blow a trumpet for and what they are responsible to do. So let's just unpack just the picture and then we'll come to talk about what it means. We see the first angle in verses 1 to 5. Here's what we read. Son of man, speak to your people and say to them, If I bring the sword upon a land and the people of the land take a man from among them and make him their watchman, and if he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows the trumpet and warns the people, then if anyone hears the sound of the trumpet, uh, does not take warning, and the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But if he had taken warning, he would have saved his life. So here's the picture, here's the scene. Imagine, if you will, a giant plain, a field with an army camped in it, hundreds, maybe thousands of tents, all in the middle of this plain. Darkness has now come in the, at the end of the day, and the captain of the watch gathers all of his watchmen around, and he begins to assign them their posts. And so every 50, 100 feet around the perimeter of the entire camp, he places a watchman. And all of these watchmen then, of course, face out from the camp, and they stare out into the darkness. So the sun sets, darkness descends, it comes towards midnight, it's 1 a.m., it's 2 a.m., all is quiet, all is still. Then suddenly, there's the blast of a trumpet from up on the northern end of the camp. Every soldier within the camp knows exactly what this means. And so they jump out of their beds. uh, They begin to throw on their armor. They run out towards the north end of the camp where the trumpet blast has come because, of course, the watchman has seen the enemy army coming through the shadows, coming to the camp. An attack has begun on the north end of the camp. But the watchman has done his job. And because he's done his job... The element of surprise has been taken away. The enemy that was counting so much upon that element of surprise no longer has it. And so now the the army is able to defend itself because the watchman did his job. Now, if there was a soldier sleeping somewhere towards the north end of the camp and he just kind of heard the blast and he thought, I'm tired tonight, I'm just going to roll over and go back to sleep. If the enemy army presses in and he gets killed in his sleep because he didn't get up and put on his armor and take up his sword, it's his own fault. You heard the warning, you didn't heed the warning, and so it's your own fault if you get killed in the battle. So the watchman has done his job and the people are responsible to make sure that they heed the watchman's trumpet. But there's another angle. I said there's two angles to this picture. That's the first one. 
Now listen to the second one in verse 6. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet so that the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes away one of them, any one of them, that person is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hands. So now imagine a different scene set before us. The army is fast asleep. The enemy feels like they're far away, all feels safe. You know, it's the middle of the night. And then suddenly the silence is broken, not by the sound of a trumpet, but by the sound of the invading army crashing through the whole north end of the camp, crushing everyone in their paths and destroying everything in their path. There was no time for any soldier to wake up, no time to put on their armor, no time to get up the sword. The element of surprise was there because a watchman fell asleep. The watchman did not do his job. And in that case, the battle was over before it even began. No trumpet to warn the people. And so if the watchman somehow lives through all this, he's going to have to stand accountable before the captain of the watch for why he failed in his responsibility to stay awake and to watch over the camp. So that's the picture that God puts into Ezekiel's mind and the picture that we just want to get into our mind. It's the picture of a watchman who is faithful to do his job, and the people listen, and they listen to him as well, or it's the picture of a people also who must be faithful to listen to the watchman when he blows the trumpet. So it's these two angles of the watchman's job and the people's responsibility to listen to the watchman. Okay, so that's the picture. Now that we have that picture clear enough, we got to ask why God wants to give this picture to Ezekiel of a watchman and why for us. So now in the second place... Let's talk about this. Let's talk about the meaning of a watchman, the meaning behind this picture. Why has God given this picture? And we don't have to guess because God tells Ezekiel very clearly what he means by this picture in verses 7 to 9. So you, son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say... To the wicked, people living against God, a wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way. That wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will, I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. Now imagine the effect of this on Ezekiel. He has this clear picture in his mind of a watchman now. He's, now God says, Ezekiel, I'm pointing you to be a watchman over Israel. Not a watchman who watch out for the armies, physical, literal armies that attack. I'm talking about the armies of sin. People, sin getting into people's lives. People following this kind of way, going against what I have asked. That's the kind of army that I want you to be a watchman for. And so Ezekiel is responsible to speak God's words, and to warn the people when they have turned away, when they're following patterns of, of life and behavior that God has said, that is not the way you are to live. I'm sure this picture would have really increased Ezekiel's sense of responsibility when he realizes, okay, I've been appointed a watchman. A watchman must be alert. A watchman must do his job. But notice carefully, a faithfulness as a watchman 
is not determined by the people's response. What is faithfulness as a watchman determined by? It's determined by whether he speaks the words that God gives to him, right? His job only as the watchman is to speak the words that God gives. He's not responsible for people's uh, response to God's words. People are responsible for their own lives. The watchman is simply responsible to speak God's words. So faithfulness for Ezekiel simply meant being responsible to speak God's words to God's people. Now, I don't think it's too hard for us to see what all this can mean for us today. Today, God also says to people, to groups of people that we're going to outline now, I have made you a watchman. God says this to us as well. So I want to think this through. Who does God say this to? Who does God appoint as watchman today? Let me give you a, a few different. I think I got four here. First, God says to those in government, I have made you a watchman. To those in government, okay? So this is a big biblical theme. Those who are in positions of authority are called by God to function as watchmen, whether it's over the nation, over the province, over the city, over the municipality. So anyone who's serving in those kind of roles are to govern justly, to pursue righteousness, to do things right. They're to warn of dangers. They are to protect the people. So to all those who serve in government, all the way from prime ministers to uh, premiers, MLAs, MPs, mayors, whatever it may be, this is a role, of course, that is a position of authority. And those in positions of authority are to be watchmen to care for, to protect those who they've been appointed over. Now, of course, right here, we could digress into all kinds of discussions and controversy. I'm not intending to do that this morning. Everyone has opinions on whether the government is doing things rightly or not rightly. That could go on forever. That's not where I want to go today. In fact, I want to unify us, particularly maybe in this point we're at right now, coming up to a federal election, uh, everything we have going on right now, even in our own province, and we should, as Christians, be unified on one thing that we do in response to our government, and that is to pray for them. We are commanded to do so in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2. Paul writes, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings, now notice the next phrase, and all who are in high positions. Anyone really in a government position, in a position of any form of authority and influence, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So we are called then to pray for our governing authorities that they would be faithful watchmans, that they would watch over us in our roles. That's their role, and we ought to be praying for them. So whatever you think about COVID and the government's response, here at Central, one thing we want to be unified on is that we pray for our governing authorities. Whatever you think about what Trudeau and his government has done for the last numerous years as we move to a federal election, one thing we will be unified on here is we will pray for our governing authorities. So that's why Phil led us this morning in that time of prayer. Let us be known at least as much for our prayers for the government as we are for all of our comments and all of our discussions. We need to be a people who pray for our governing authorities. To be a watchman in a position of government is a tremendous responsibility. And we need to uphold all those who are serving in those positions. Second, God says to the church, I have made you a watchman. 
to the church. We are called to be watchmen who clearly speak the words of God to ourselves. Remember, Ezekiel was first speaking to God's people, not to the wider world and wider society, speaking God's word to ourselves to make sure we are faithfully following Christ. And then, yes, we are to be a city set on a hill. We do have a voice into culture. We are to be salt and light. So we, we speak to ourselves and we speak into our wider society. But I want to digress right now and get really practical with us because there's two areas, two errors, I think, that we can really fall into when we as a church begin to talk about this whole subject of speaking God's word to ourselves and even to wider society. Two errors, and all of us are going to tend to one side or the other. You decide where you tend to as we look at them, all right? So here's error number one when we as a church begin to act as watchmen. Error number one is we can avoid speaking out of fear of conflict. We can avoid speaking out of fear of conflict. Some of us, by nature, are more peaceable than others. Uh, some of us are more conflict avoiders than others. And such people don't like conflict, and so often what they do or what churches can do is they can just avoid speaking altogether, avoid all the controversy. And, of course, it requires tremendous wisdom to know when to speak, to know what to say, what not to say. The answer is not just a blah, just speak, the, do, give everything. It takes tremendous wisdom, but right now we're putting our finger on the idea that sometimes we as Christians or we as the church can avoid speaking out of fear of conflict, but a watchman is called to blow the trumpet when there is danger. You know, Acts chapter 17 says it is no accident that you and I were born exactly when we were born, and it's no accident that we live exactly where we live, for God has ordained the times and places in which we live. So he has a purpose for us in our generation, in our places where we live, in our circles of influence, and it takes wisdom, but we are called to speak as a church. This means things like we got to be sure we preach God's word. We don't just stand up here and, I feel like talking about this or that today. Uh, we are to warn even one another. Well, we've got to do this gracefully. We're going to talk about this in a moment. But we are to speak into each other's lives. We are to speak into the issues that we face in culture today. We have to be a people. We have to be a church that engages the troubles and the difficulties within our generation. So we try to do that here at Central. I'm sure we're not perfect. We can get better. But churches are called to be a watchman, and it is a great travesty when the church in any age just becomes quiet, ignores the Word of God, and never says anything to its own people or to wider society. Yet there is an equal but opposite error that we fall into, and I'm going to be honest, I think this one is a growing one, and it concerns me deeply. Error number two we can speak in a way that lacks grace. That lacks grace. I become increasingly concerned with this. I think COVID has exasperated it, made it worse. Uh, I think just as a society, somehow we are becoming more polarized. Social media plays into all this. 
But this is a deep concern of mine because many people, maybe in this first point when we talked about it, you were like, yeah, that's right. Preach it, Barton. We need to speak. We need to speak to the issues of our day. We cannot be silent. If you were cheering that one on, then maybe you've got to listen to this side a little bit more because so many people that I now watch, they say, yeah, we must speak. We've got we to gotta raise our voices. And yet they do it in such a combative way, such an aggressive way, such a way that just turns other people off and is even disrespectful times and offensive. Listen, it's not just what we say that matters. How we say it is just as important. Biblically, this is, so many times Christians can say, we got to speak the truth and whatever happens, you know, that's on them. We just, our job is just to speak and tell everyone the truth. Sort of, but read your Bible, how you say it is just as important as what you say. And that how part often is getting neglected. If there are three verses that should instruct us on how to be watchmen who speak for Christ in our generation, it's 1 Peter 3, verses 15 to 17. It says this, Always be prepared to make a defense, that is a verbal defense, to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. You must be able, you must speak. You gotta do it when you're called upon to do it. Notice the sentence doesn't end, though. That, a lot of people end the sentence right there. you got to speak, got to tell the truth. Continue on. It's still the same sentence. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered from what you've said, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Are people put to shame because of how gracious and respectful we are when we are attacked? Those are questions we got to ask. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. That is it. This is how we as a church fulfill our call to be a watchman. Yes, we must speak, but we must speak as Christ spoke. And Christ always spoke truth, but he did it with gentleness and respect. Listen to John 1, verse 14. This is the model verse. If you want one verse, here it is. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Notice that Jesus is not 50% grace and 50% truth. It's 100% and 100%. He's full of truth and full of grace. And it's not some sort of balance, you know, like sometimes you're 80% truth, sometimes you're 20%. No, that's not what it is. Full of grace, full of truth at the same time. So here's my challenge to us. As we begin to prioritize things like our relationships and as we talk about speaking to people, we got to ask ourselves, am I known more for truth or for grace? Or better question yet, am I known for both? Am I known as a person? Are we as a church known that we speak the truth, but when we do it, we do it with gentleness and respect? The way we interact online, are, are our online interactions marked by gentleness and respect? got to be honest, I think this should be one of the most convicting verses for us as Christians if we're talking about being watchmen. 
It's got to be one of the most convicting verses for us in how we move forward. So here at Central, this is the kind of church we want to be. When we talk about being gospel-centered, the good news of Christ impacting everything, on this topic of speaking, this is what we want to be as a church. A church that is full of truth. We uphold the truth. We uphold the word of God. This is our standard. Yes, absolutely. And when we speak it, and when we speak it within our church to each other, or we're speaking it to society, we want to do it with gentleness and with respect. May the Lord enable us and help us, and may the Lord have mercy on us when we have not always represented him well as his watchman. Third, God says to parents, I have made you a watchman. Parents, of course, this one should be obvious to us, we are called to be watchmen over our families, uh, to pay attention for things that may be bringing harm to them, to protect our kids, and to make sure that we're raising them, to speak God's word to them, to train, train them in what it means to follow Christ, setting an example of what it means. We cannot set aside that duty. But parents, I, I know we often hear that, and we know to hear, need to hear it, but let me also just bring up the other side here, because some of you carry too much weight. Sometimes that's possible to carry too much weight. Here's how you can sometimes carry too much weight. At the end of the day, your kids and their salvation and even their lives as they become adults, they are responsible for themselves at the end of the day. Just like a watchman, a watchman's job is to blow the trumpet, to speak. That's what Ezekiel's supposed to do. But at the end of the day, you can't carry the responsibility for your kids' salvation or even for the choices they make in their lives upon yourself. You've got to entrust that to them. The watchman blows the trumpet. The people choose how to respond. So sometimes I just notice that people take too much responsibility on themselves. Sometimes you've got to just entrust your children to God, saying, God, you're the one who saves. God, I'm entrusting that you would do this, praying, of course, for them all the time, taking on the responsibility of a watchman, but not taking on the role of God. Don't do that to yourself, but fulfill the role of a watchman to your family. And the fourth one, God says to each Christian, I have made you a watchman. Way back in the beginning when Cain murdered his brother Abel and God confronted him about it. God said, where is your brother Abel? And in, those, in that moment, Cain spoke one of the first and greatest heresies of all time, one that is carried through right to our day. His question was, Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? It's the idea that I'm not responsible for other people. I'm only responsible for my own life. It's that idea that was so individualistic that he's not responsible for others that is carried down. And what is the answer to Cain's question? If you were there, if you were standing next, God asked Cain, where is your brother? Cain says to God, am I my brother's keeper? The answer is, yes, you're your brother's keeper. <laughs> That's the answer to that question. Absolutely, you are your brother's keeper. You are responsible for your brother. At the end of the day, of course, if we want to go back to the previous point, people are going to be responsible for their own lives at the end of the day. But when we see people hurting or people in need, we are responsible. And of course, here in the Western world, we become very individualistic. And sometimes you've got to say, okay, I've got to watch that. That side of me, it's good at some points. But I am my brother's keeper. As Paul will say in the New Testament, you are all members of each other. In other words, we have a responsibility to love each other, to care for each other, to be in each other's lives, to care for one another. So COVID has made all that very difficult, I know. 
But I'm really proud of us as a church and seeing many little things that happen, people making phone calls all the time, people trying to get together, go for walks when they're allowed to do that. Now more and more people getting together in other venues. That's great. And that we need to continue to be our brother's keeper, to look out for one another, to care for one another. That's going to be a challenge for us. COVID has created habits to be more and more by ourselves. But what about things when you're ready to have people into your home, to go out for a meal together, call up somebody? There's some habits that are going to need to be broken. We've lived in COVID hotel for a long time. And coming back home, we're going to need to be our brother's keeper and try to rethink what that looks like. So the question we've got to ask ourselves in all this is, am I faithfully doing my job as a watchman with my relationships and roles that God has given me? You've got to ask yourself that. What, in your world, what does that look like? Or is it avoiding responsibilities to other people, avoiding speaking, avoiding loving, caring, all those kind of things? Because God is saying he's holding Ezekiel accountable. And we also know that the captain of the watch, Jesus, is going to hold all of us accountable. We must give an account for the lives that we have lived one day. And this is the weightiness of all this. I know this is a weighty topic we're talking about. One day we will give an account to the captain of the watch on how we have fulfilled or not fulfilled our responsibility to be watchmen. And I suppose there's two potential scenarios. The one could be we did not fulfill our role as a watchman. And we're standing there on judgment day and there's nobody around speaking up saying, you know, so-and-so, he, he spoke to me. He talked to me. He shared God's word with me. I, maybe I didn't listen, but he shared it at least. Or there's no one there to say that we fulfilled the role of a watchman. We didn't serve. We didn't care. We weren't involved what a terrifying moment that would be. And so that makes me think to myself, am I fulfilling my responsibilities as a pastor, as a parent, as a friend, as a husband, all these kind of roles that I have in my life? But there's another scenario, right? And the other scenario is you're standing before the captain of the watch and you don't have to say anything because others are there to say, I was walking a bad path. And she came up and she was so loving and kind and how she talked to me. I didn't take it well at all at the beginning. But she loved me enough to say something to me and she did it with such gentleness and respect. An example of a faithful watchman. Or, or maybe it's even to your kids. My parents brought me up in the faith. They taught me the scriptures. They taught me to pray. They modeled it. They warned me when I was going off track. And I went off track. And I lived my own way for a long time. But eventually I came back to Christ. And my parents were faithful watchmen. Maybe that's what happens when you stand on judgment day. Maybe it's a colleague who says, I always made fun of Christ and of Christians. But you know, they were always there. And they were very wise. And when they talked and when they didn't. But even when I would make fun of them, the way that they would talk with such gentleness and respect, faithful watchmen. And of course, at the end of the day, it's Jesus who will say to each of us, well done, good and faithful servant. So I'm just asking us to ask ourselves, <laughs> are we being responsible? Are we fulfilling the roles that God has given us? Not just on cruise control, not just kind of living out life in our own comfort, but are we being responsible to fulfill the roles of a watchman that God has given to us? But let's just unpack this a bit more to get practical and to really bring some grace home to our hearts. In the final place now, let's talk about how to be a faithful watchman. How to be a faithful 
watchman. Because if, if you're like me, you're hearing this, you're like, okay, that is a big responsibility. I, I hope you're feeling a bit of weightiness to this whole topic this morning, because it is weighty. We have a responsibilities to fulfill, right? But we got to make sure that now we give the grace on how we actually do this so we can fulfill what God has given to us. So let's try to do that in this last point now. Here's a few thoughts on how to do this. In the first place, pray. Just, this should be obvious, but we got to come before God and say, God, I, I want to be a faithful watchman in all the responsibilities you have given me. God, give me wisdom to know when to speak and when not to. Give me wisdom on what to say. Give me wisdom to figure out this very dynamic situation which is so complex to know when to get into it, when not to. Like, these are not easy things. So every day we're coming before God saying, God, I need you to teach me how to do this. For some of us, God, I need you to give me courage. I lack courage. I don't speak enough. I know I should have done that and I didn't say anything. Some of us need to ask for that. Some of us need to say, God, I speak a lot but I'm not always marked by gentleness and respect. Teach me, make me more like Christ, that I would be marked with gentleness and respect, that I'd be full of grace and truth. So pray. Just come before God and pour out your heart. Second, use what God has given you. And don't stress about what he hasn't given you. Use what God has given you and don't stress about what he hasn't given you. So the danger sometimes in a, in a message like this, some of us, we can get overwhelmed by this. It can feel too weighty to us and we can have a sense of false guilt and feel overwhelmed and just be like, oh, I'm just, I'm just terrible and maybe I'm not doing enough or something like that. So how do you be faithful? I think one of the best ways to process this whole message is to think it through the grid of Jesus' parable of the talents. You know, remember that, that, that parable? A talent was a, a unit of money in ancient times. There's debate on all what it's worth, but it's close to, say, a million dollars. And so Jesus gives this parable where a master goes away for a period of time, and he brings three of his servants in, and to the first guy, he gives them five talents, so it's called five million dollars, to the other two million, and to the other one million. And then he goes away for a long period of time, and then he comes back, and he brings each of the servants to give an account for how they fulfilled their responsibilities with the money that he has given them. And the first man, who had five million doubled it, he made 10. The second one, who had 2 million, doubled it, made 4. And the last one, who had 1 million, just buried in the ground and didn't do anything with it. Jesus praises the first two and condemns the last. Here's what we need to grasp out of this talent, though. Notice that Jesus does not expect the man with $2 million to make it into 10. This is one of the most freeing words you can hear. God does not require us to do more than with what he has given us. God's given us all different personalities, gifts, and when talking physical money, different physical amount of money. He's given all of us different abilities. He does not expect you to be doing to multiply what someone else has to do. So all the comparison we do to other people is not helpful because God's not asking you to be with that other person. He's asking you to just be you, to take your gifts, your talents, your money, your time, and to just use it for his service until the master one day calls you home. That is so freeing to me. Too often I've compared myself to others and thought, man, I should be the five-talent guy when maybe I'm the two-talent guy or something. I don't know. You just put huge weight on yourself, huge expectations. But that parable just takes it off and it says, take what God has given you and just be faithful to multiply it. The wrong response 
is to do nothing with it, to bury it in the ground. In other words, to take your life and to not do anything with it for Christ, to just live for yourself all your days. Then you end up being the one who is condemned by the master at the end of the day. So simply ask yourself, what has God given me with my personality, with my abilities, with my time, my influence, my family? What has God given me, and how can I use it for his glory? That's the simple question. Not comparing to other people and what God has given them. And don't stress about what God hasn't given you. And then here's the third way to be a faithful watchman. Look to the captain of the watch. By that, I, of course, mean Christ. We've all been appointed as watchmen, but there is only one captain of the watch. And he is the model. He is the one who's gone before us. He is the one who empowers us. For look at Christ. When Christ was in his eternal glory and he saw all that was happening in the world, did he look upon creation and how messed up it all was in his creation? And did he say, am I my creation's keeper? He did not say that like Cain. Rather, he said, I am my creation's keeper. And he acted on it. He acted by becoming a man, by giving his life for us. When he saw our worst enemies, and they are big enemies, the enemies of sin, of death, of judgment, all coming toward us, of evil powers, those are forces, those are enemies that we cannot stop. But Christ, the captain of the watch, went and met, on, met all those armies, all those enemies, head on by himself. He took them all on and conquered them through his life, his death, and his resurrection. He acted on behalf of us, his people. And so now the good news for us is when we trust in Christ, we just follow the captain of the watch. We just get in behind and we just say, Jesus, thank you for being this great warrior who takes down our worst enemies. We're going to get in behind you and we are just going to let you take the victory for us. And so we follow Christ and we follow his example. When you see that Christ acted for you when you could do nothing, you say, okay, God, how can I now act to help others? I've been given certain gifts and abilities. How can I act to serve them just as Jesus, the great captain of the watch, also served us? There's an amazing story about a hero from a certain village in China. A great earthquake began to shake the ground and this man's rice field was up high. His house was up high above the ocean. And he began to look down towards the ocean as the earthquake finished. And he saw that the whole ocean was receding. But it was receding like getting ready to pounce, like a lion crouches before it leaps for its prey. And he knew that a tsunami was about to come. And so as he looked down to sea level, he saw all of his neighbors, all of his friends below whose fields were down at sea level. He knew they were in tremendous danger. So he, without a second thought, ran to his own house, set his own house on fire, set his fields on fire, went to the fire bell and began to ring the bell furiously. His neighbors and his friends down below all looked up, saw the fire, and they all, men, women, children, went running up the hill to help him put out the fire. And then they got up to the top, and the tsunami came in and wiped out all of their houses, and they turned around and saw the danger that they were in. And they saw that this one man had sacrificed, without a second thought, all that he had in order to save everyone else. This is what Christ has done for us. 
He saw our greatest enemies. He saw the danger we were in. He acted as the watchman. He acted as the captain of the watch and went and defeated our greatest enemies. He does this for us, sacrificing his own life. So that we then can say, Jesus, thank you. You've done this for me. Now enable me to lay down my life for others. Help me to fulfill my role as a watchman. And so we come to Christ this morning and we say, Jesus, forgive us for when we have not been faithful watchmen. Teach us how to be faithful watchmen. Enable us to do what you've called us to do properly and to do it well, that on that great day he might say to each of us, well done, good and faithful servant. So as we begin to transition back home, let's reflect upon our responsibilities within our relationships, saying, Jesus, show us how we can be faithful watchmen. Let's pray together. Yeah, together, Father, we first of all just say, forgive us when we've not always been faithful. Maybe we've lacked courage. Forgive us when we've been doing things wrong. As we've talked this morning, maybe we've been too argumentative, too angry. Uh, We've maybe done the right thing, but done it in the wrong way. Forgive us when we've not been faithful watchmen. Jesus, enable us as a church, enable us as individuals to be faithful in our calling to be watchmen. Spirit of God, I pray right now you would just put your finger in each, on each person's heart, just showing each of us maybe one area where we need to be a faithful watchman. Spirit of God, apply this right now, I pray, to each person's heart. Let the Spirit speak to you for a moment. In that area, Spirit of God, we pray you would give us insight, wisdom. You would shape us to be more like Christ in how we are going to go about that area. Enable us to sense the leading of the Spirit, that we would act at the right time. Work this in us, we pray. Father, enable us as a church to be faithful to you as well. We live in difficult times to know exactly what this means all the time, Father. But enable us as a church and as individuals to know what it means to be faithful to you. We ask all this, Jesus, you are our great hope, the only one who can enable us to do this. We pray it in your name. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and gatherings, visit us at centralbaptistchurch.ca. Thanks for listening to the Central Baptist Church Podcast.